Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk, Happy Hour Radio. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Well, hello, Seattle. Hello, Puget Sound, and welcome to Happy Hour Radio. Hope you're having a great time tonight, and uh, it is Happy Hour Radio time. Six o'clock right here. On 570 KVI every Saturday night. Hope you could tell your friends about it because we always have a good time on the show. We got chefs, we've got uh, restaurant tours, spirits uh, distillers, uh, brewers, uh, winemakers, master sommeliers, and much, much more. Uh, so tune in. If you ever miss a show, check us out online at happyhourradio.net. Um, it's a Saturday night in October. Woo hoo hoo. It's this, this the season. The spiders are out. And, uh, well, um, it's time to cast your net out for some really great fall seasonal beers. I've got uh, my pal Nick Crandall, who is the innovation brewer at Red Hook Brewery. You might have heard of that one. Um, They're local for a while still, I believe. And uh, Nick Crandall's got some of his great holiday, well, I should say fall seasonal beers. And we're going to be tasting those. But uh, I also have um, one of our uh, restaurant tours who has been uh, a mainstay in the Seattle neighborhood uh, restaurants. And uh, it's Jeremy Hardy. He's uh, been part of uh, many different neighborhoods. We're going to talk about his career in the restaurant industry and his uh, latest venture, which is uh, Mio Posto, which is by my house in West Seattle. They've got two other locations and building a fourth. So, uh, hey, Jeremy Hardy, welcome to Happy Hour. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. So fun. Um, I've uh, had the pleasure of meeting you about 20-some years ago when I was just a young lad, and uh, (laughs) I admired the whole restaurant scene. So um, people may not be familiar with uh, Jeremy Hardy's name, but let's talk about you. Where are you from, and how did you get to Seattle? Hmm. Well, I grew up in... uh Grew up in New York and then moved to Boston. Got my first job washing dishes in a diner south of Boston. I was 14 years old and lot, learned a lot of really bad habits from those <laughs> smoking from those line cooks. <laughs> I was smoking is not even the beginning of it. Uh, and then, but I really loved the business. It was really fun. I loved the uh, I loved the action, the activity. I loved uh, the camaraderie that you get in the restaurant industry. And a bunch of a bunch of crazy crazy human beings, uh, and the the pirates in the kitchen uh, uh, were just blew me away with both uh, both their skill set and their bad habits. Too funny. What do pirates say when they're making a burger? Char! <laughs> I can't believe you said that. <laughs> I <know. laughs> well, I just came back from a a mock exam, uh, and I, apparently I was the guy who got the Rob Roy each time. So I had four Rob Roys before I got here. No, just very a nice. sip. Yes, yeah. Okay. <laughs> just a sip. Just a sip. A sip and spit. Just for a second. <laughs> just a sip. So uh, yeah. So worked for those guys, and then uh, went to work for another restaurant across the co- the uh, the street, and then uh, and it was a lobster house that had been in the same location since 1780. Wow. So if you ever think that your prep kitchen's a little worn down, let me tell you what. <laughs> they still had the big block of ice. Oh man, yeah, it was it was a trip. It was really great. But I did that, saw the back of a bar for the first time, stocking um, stocking the pyramids of of beer and what, and bringing ice out, you know, ice out and all that stuff. And uh, bars in the seventies were totally different than they were today. Uh, no air handling, no windows, uh, smoking, of course. So the walls, I don't know if you remember this, the walls are kind of yellow. Yeah. From the nicotine. 
and uh, and carpeted. And I'm not talking about low nap cool carpet. I'm talking about shag baby. This is the 70s. Ooh. Oh yeah. So you take that the the uh, no air handling and the smoking and the smell of spilt you yes, know beer. Everything. And you could either be uh, repelled or engaged, and I was actually enthralled for reasons I still don't understand. But uh, got it. He was really. You were under twenty-one. Uh, yeah. is <laughs> this is great. This is so cool. So uh, I did other stuff. I was a history major, and then getting out of school uh, after spending a season planting trees, decided I wanted to go to bartending school, and did so in Boston. And then uh, started with a fledgling restaurant company called TJ Fridays. Oh, yeah. And uh, started with them below dishwasher. There is a below dishwasher. And uh, Fridays back then was owned by a couple of long-haired guys out of Manhattan. And it was a, it was a really cool cool place to kind of grow up in the business. And um, worked on the line for them, bar-backed, expedited, did everything. And then... Um, Started. This uh, was in Boston. It was in Boston. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was, and they were just busy. They had just busiest. I mean, they were paying off the fire marshal busy, uh-huh. you know. <laughs> and then uh, uh, started bartending with them. And, and the way I got across the country is I was opening restaurants for TGI Fridays. Which I'll tell you what, you know, you're 22 years old, you're in a town for six months, and then you blow out. It was it was great. It was so much fun. Yeah, you're a gypsy. But, yeah, it was really it was really great. And then uh, got out to uh, the West Coast, and um, TGI Fridays had sold to Carlson Companies. That was a huge conglomerate out of Dallas, which pretty much blew up the brand. And uh, went to work for a fledgling company called McCormick and Schmicks, and opened their mm. first restaurant I've as heard of a that. no, no local guys, as a uh, bartender, and then finished uh, nine years later as a general manager, opening restaurants for them, and that's how I got to Seattle. And then uh, uh, my my uh, best friend Peter Levy at the uh, he and I had met at Fridays in the late seventies. He and I uh, decided to go into business, and we opened our first restaurant called the Beeliner Diner back in 1988. And we did that. I, I love this part. We did it with $5,000 borrowed from a friend's mom, <laughs> and, uh, and we raised the money. The, the entire capitalization of the project was $53,000. Wow. And Beeliner Diner was in uh, 45th? Yeah, or? yeah. It was on Wallingford, right across right. the street from the uh, Guild. And um, and it was really great. I mean, we were doing this. Uh, it was a high quality uh, food, all made in house and from from scratch. It was uh, it was taking the diner from the northeast within that kind of very wise guy familial vibe that you'd get. I mean, we used to make fun of people's hair and you know what they were wearing. It was great. And then um, <laughs> right for Seattle, it yeah. was it was really really fun. And then we but we'd combine that with the food it was really great. And uh, when we opened, we increased the sales of Pabst Blue Ribbon by like 40% out of that little 800-square-foot restaurant. And the entire, our check average for dinner was uh, about $9.25, including the beer. Wow. Yeah, and you could smoke in there. I know, I know. I'm telling you what. <laughs> so you get the meatloaf and a side of mashers and a PBR. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can't, it was it was actually fun. I mean, uh, the call, because we had all the, the diner calls we created, like a, a burger was a burn one. If you wanted, a, oh, if you wanted a, a cheese on it, burn one, cow to cover. If you oh. wanted bacon on it, is a burn one, cow to cover, make it squeal. Wow. Great. And our uh, our uh, motto was eat it and beat it. Because it was so small, we had, we had eight tables. <laughs> And I can still say that in, um, from the Goodwill Games. In uh, I can say it in Japanese, which is tabite ikoyo. Tabite ikoyo. Yeah, that's uh, as close as the Japanese get to eat it and beat it. Yeah. Slurp and burp or wait? Uh, yeah, know. yeah. 
<laughs> so then we opened the second restaurant called The Five Spot on top of Queen Anne. And mm-hmm. then we went ahead and we opened uh, the Coastal Kitchen. Uh, the uh, let's see, we opened Luncheonette, we opened Atlas Foods in University Village, Atlas Foods, yeah, the High Life, Endline Joe's, yeah. Look at you, you had like the you're the cookie cutter kind of thing, but yeah, of of good quality neighborhood dining. Yeah, that was the whole idea is to bring uh, to bring uh, from scratch high quality food driven but very accessible and familiar. We wanted you to walk in and get like ninety percent of the menu when you walked in the door. Yeah, so. and. And to be honest, at that time, that was really what we needed. We weren't looking for, you know, old cuisine. Obviously, we had the whole North, the Nouvelle cuisine from the Northwest coming from the early 80s through the 80s. But what we didn't have was really that local comfort food idea where you can come in and feel, you know, get out for at some point under 20 bucks, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. You could, and, uh, and very kid-friendly as well. Yeah, you got neighborhood joints got to be kid-friendly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um uh, we did that, and then we opened another restaurant called uh, Mia Posto in 2006 in the Mount Baker neighborhood. And Is that, that old already? I know. Oh, I know. wow. Yeah, we had our 10th anniversary. So, um, and what had happened is we decided to uh, go in different directions because I wanted to continue to grow Mia Posto, and, uh, and Peter wanted to go uh, which, forth, which he's done, and, uh, and open separate restaurants and individual restaurants. And I know he's opened one in Tacoma just recently. It's doing very well. Oh. And I think doing another one down there. But for me, I'm all, all me a posto all the time. <laughs> so we're really looking at uh, at taking what we do and growing it. We want to grow to nine locations. Um, and that could change any day. But, do you just like throw a map at King County and see where it lands? Or how does that work? Well, we're... Or Thurston County. I don't we, know. we want to keep it in King County. Um but what we're look we're opening on Mercer Island uh somewhere around uh Christmas and then uh we're looking we're looking elsewhere in fact we're looking at one location that's pretty close to here but we're also looking at going east toward uh toward Redmond mm-hmm. uh we really like it out there yeah a lot of uh, people live out there yeah yeah and it's it's a great market and uh and we feel it's still a bit underserved and are looking forward to going out well, that's the key. You got to serve the masses, especially in these neighborhoods. And I have the pleasure of speaking with Jeremy Hardy, um, restaurant tour, uh, barback, uh, and something less than um, a dishwasher at one point in our career. <laughs> it's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy. That would be the pots and pan guy, or the the guy who does the uh, changes the fryer oil, perhaps. Um, talking about his restaurant career from New York to Boston and to Seattle, um, from Mick and Schmicks to uh, well, Mio Posto. Right. And you had the idea, have you been to Italy? Where do you find these these inspirations for your cuisine or your menu? My wife and I went to Italy and spent uh, a fair amount of time um, over there, and that was more useful for me than I think it was for her. My wife is the CFO of the company, and by the way, that's chief food officer. <laughs> and uh, and she had trained uh, in L.A. and in New York and also here in Seattle with uh, with Carmine. And um, although she was front of house, she was trained. She spent a lot of time in the back and learning uh, learning the tricks of the trade uh, from all. And a combination of uh, so she kind of brings a lot of horsepower and creativity. She has she has there this this talent of not needing to impress impress with a plate presentation or a menu read, but really looking for that great outcome on a plate. Yes, but does it work? What is that doing there that has no part of this meal? Get mm-hmm. it out of there. Let's make it work. And uh, what we do at Mia Posto is very, it's a very simple, straightforward, 
And we do it as well as we can, and we continually dive in and do it better. Having come from uh, those other restaurants, uh, let's just take Coastal Kitchen, which I uh, had for 24 years, where everything that can possibly change did change. And uh, and it's really fun for and it, but it also gets really it's really difficult to manage it really well because each one of those items you can you can spend a lifetime jumping into and you know just oysters alone or wine alone or pastries alone and uh, and to become really great at something uh, we decided what we wanted to do with Mia Posto was keep it really simple so rather than create you know twenty nine pizzas we keep it really limited and we meet every week and we look at what we do how can we do it better how can we hmm. how can we jump in this pool a little bit deeper through all the processes we review all the ingredients all the uh, everything we do constantly to see how we can do it better not how we can add but how we can take what we do and bu- make it bigger better and stronger where did you go in Italy? Did you actually go to Roma? Is this Neapolitan, or were you in where? Where? Because I, I went to Italy. They didn't really have a lot of pizza where I um, from the north down. I mean, when you used to Rome, they got pizza, but it seemed like other places were just more the regional cuisine. Yeah, the Roman pizza uh, is not really uh, it's not really our thing. Uh, in ter- in terms of the uh, the the pizza that we do, it is in the Neapolitan. Style, however, I want to be quick to point out that it's not um, it's not me it's not me at Neapolitan in Neapolitan in that our flour is local, our oven is local, our tools are local, our tomatoes right. are domestic. There's a special. Don't they have a DOCG for for Neapolitan pizza? You have to meet all these requirements to actually say that's what it is. Yeah, there's definitely a uh, mafioso uh, thing in there, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So we we don't ascribe to that. However, we do ascribe to similar uh, to similar parameters in terms of. Uh, in terms of uh, the heat, the way we set up the fire, uh, the the hand, uh, you know, the hand doing of all the dough, the hand stretching of all the dough, uh, the best ingredients we can, and keeping it simple. And I can talk a little bit more, perhaps, yeah, about let's do that. The big takeaways from Italy uh, in a minute. I like that. Hey, I uh, speaking with Jeremy Hardy, who is uh, the restaurateur and now uh, the godfather of Mio Posto, um, three locations around, uh, well, around King County, and more to go. Uh, and coming up on the show, I got Nick Crandall, the innovation brewer for Red Hook Brewery. He's got some great seasonal beers uh, in his bag in a growler. And how appropriate is to say growler in October? October. If I can only say it. Hey, folks, uh, stick around. We're going to be right back with more of Jeremy Hardy and coming up, Nick Crandall of Red Hook Beer, and right here on Happy Hour Radio. He's back, and he's in charge. Kirby Wilbur, live and local, weekdays 9 to noon. Talk Radio 570, KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Time for another round of Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right. Happy Saturday night, Seattle. Welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. It's uh, time for round two. Hope you got something great in your glass. Uh, I'm watching my pal Nick Crandall, the head brewer, innovation brewer for Red Hook Brewery, pour out of growlers a whole host of colorful, sudsy beverages, and I can't wait. But uh, right now, my mind is all about... Mio posto. What does mio posto mean? My place. My place. Yeah, it's my place. So speaking of happy hour, uh, when when we were in uh, we were in Rome and we spent time in Florence, and the time in Florence was actually the more uh, informative, uh, really for us. 
and uh, we got to go and uh, to somebody who had just uh, just made made their own olive oil and had it basically just uh, just pressed. It was uh, it was a great experience and uh, and one that got us coming over here and looking for uh, looking for great domestic olive oil, which we did find. Where? Uh, down in Modesto. Modesto. Like, yeah, Corto. Interesting. Yeah, Corto. Really, really. Not Gallo. I know. Corto. Corto. Class similar, but yeah. Uh, but Gallo really, owns a lot of Modesto, really by the way. So uh, when we were over there, though, uh, one of the one of my biggest uh, one of my biggest takeaways was the great simplicity of Italian cooking and mm-hmm. presentation. Uh, and uh, we, but we had this. Uh, we'd have these. These nights where we'd have these two-hour meals, which were just fantastic, and then we'd uh, go out. We'd have some limoncello, mm. which I had really never paid much attention to before. And and we go out and we walk the streets of Florence for a couple hours. Maybe have another one. <laughs> and uh, and we thought, well, this is really great. When we go back to Seattle, uh, we walk the dog. We'll have uh, we'll find limoncello. So we came back here, and we went looking for limoncello, and uh, and we bought everything we could. Uh, and including, of course, the most expensive thinking it would be better, and we found it to be taste pretty much like lemon pledge. And uh, so, <laughs> in case you've ever tasted that, I'm telling you, <laughs> there's some bad stuff out there. And we found it, so uh, we decided, all right, well, let's make our own. So we started making our own limoncello, and we did a lot of experimentation in terms of how to get it, how to get it right, and uh, and that was quite a deal because you make it, then you and what we did, what we wound up doing is. You take your lemons, you scrape them, but you got to get the right peeler because if you go too oh, deeply, right. you're going to you pull the pith, pith and, and that's bitter. not good. Right. And then we had to figure out which did we use. We did a lot of reading, and people were talking about 80 proof. So we tried it with an 80 proof, uh, and it was, it was horrible. It was so sweet. It had no backbone. So we, we did that thing where we went, to, all right, let's go to 190. So <laughs> so that was an epic fail. <laughs> so then Just we, mix them together, uh, I thought. Yeah, well, that's kind of what we did. So we wound up with the Everclear 151. And uh, and you we found that you have to have that amount of alcohol because the alcohol acts like hops or or like acid in a wine. The alcohol gave it some structure around which to work. Otherwise, it was just this big flabby sweet thing. So the uh, so uh, every Monday night has been limoncello night in our house for about five years, until last September when I was watching one of our bartenders, our head bartender. Uh, with about uh, 45 minutes to spare as it was still slow, thinking of things to do. I'm thinking, oh, he could be making limoncello. So now now uh, Darren makes limoncello in the West Seattle location for all of the restaurants. All right. That's right. my location. I yeah. like that. I got to meet Daryl. Darren, Daryl. Darren. It's, Darren. It's, and the thing is, you try these things, and you have to wait 80 days for the outcome because you can't rush it. It's an 80-day aging process. And how many does he have in the backlog? Is it 79 Fif- so far? He's, yeah. He's got 52 <laughs> gallons working right now. Wow. Very cool. So, yeah. uh, Mio Posto, I love the limoncello. Do you have that at all the locations? Is there a special happy hour? Tell me about happy hour. This is happy hour radio. What do you got there at uh, Mio Sadly, Posto? limoncello is not on it. It's just too, <sighs> it's too labor-intensive. Uh, but we do have. Uh, let's see. We've got. Oh God, I've got to get this right. Uh, we've got four dollar beers, five dollar wines. Yeah, and six. That's exactly right. And six Thank dollar you. And pizzas. Six dollar pizzas. That's exactly <laughs> right. We do those little personal pizzas. The little, the little eight inches. I think. Yeah, it's just enough inches. for a dude like me, so I'm not, you know, totally full. But uh, enough to like. All right, that was good. I can, you know, not wanting more. Of course, you want to leave wanting more, but then. You know, it's easy to overeat when you have such good food. How many? So, where are your locations, Jeremy? We have the original one in the Mount Baker neighborhood, and for those who don't know, that is in Seattle. It's not the mountain, 
Uh, there's a funny story with that when I was first, <laughs> you newbies. I, I was first running ads for Mount Baker and I wasn't getting any responses. Then I finally realized that we needed to put Seattle after that, and then suddenly we were able to staff it. So the Mount Baker neighborhood. Then we have one in the Bryant neighborhood, which we opened summer 2014, and then uh, last well, where's summer. Where's Bryant? North. Bryant, yeah, it's north. It's right near University Village. Yeah. Okay. The old Salute location, in right. fact. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then West Seattle, and then we're we're uh, we're in the north end of Mercer Island opening. What is the worst possible time to open a restaurant? Oh, how about uh, January? Mm, Christmas, even worse. Okay. <laughs> so we'll unless be you're a, a Chinese joint, <laughs> unless you're a Chinese joint, <laughs> yeah, in a Jewish neighborhood. So we're we're opening, yeah. So we're opening in um, uh, somewhere right around Christmas. Okay. Yeah, well, that's yeah. uh, the, the the present uh, of new life that is born on Christmas Day. It's exactly right. How fun! Yeah. Uh, website people want to check you out. Yeah, it's uh, miopostopizza.com. Miaposta Pizza, so my place pizza. Yeah, and we're on uh, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all that good stuff. Yeah, and it's good food. And what a pleasure to uh, meet one of the legends in our culinary industry here uh, on the restaurant tour. Uh, Jeremy Hardy of, uh, well, Chow Foods fame, Coastal Kitchen of 24 years. Is that still there? It is, yeah. It's doing really well. I sold it in um, uh, last January. And uh, it's doing really well. Everybody who was there is still there. I mean, 100% of the people are still there. Very cool. That's a good sign. It talks about leadership and taking care of the... You need to take care of your employees just like you would take care of your guests, and it's one big happy family almost. Exactly right. Typically. Jeremy Hardy, thanks so much for sharing your time on Happy Hour Radio. And happy hour to you all. Thank you. Uh, Hey, next up, Nick Crandall. Oh, we had the pleasure of meeting, um, of all places, at one of your favorite um, food pairings in the Northwest. We met at Pecado Bueno, Bueno, which is a a Mexican restaurant where we were having burritos and beer. Nick Crandall, the innovative brewer of Red Hook Brewery, welcome to Happy Hour. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, we had a good time. It was a nice sunny day. I actually got a parking ticket that day because apparently those signs on East Lake that says no parking four to six are very faded. <laughs> sure, sure they are. Yeah, they are. Right. I was just so, I was a little running a little late. Um, hey, let's talk about you. Where are you from? I'm from Washington, down uh, down south. I grew up in a little town called La Center. Um, if you're ever driving down I-5, uh, you'll see it. Exit yeah. 16, we got a... Uh, card rooms and uh, I know I hung out at one of those card rooms for way too long (laughs) just drinking (laughs) okay so uh, what was your first beer did you have like my first beer was Miller High Life uh, I'm pretty sure mine had ice in it somewhere. Um, really? <laughs> oh, it's hot down there in the Vancouver Valley. No, no, I just mean it had ice in the name. Um, oh. I don't think it was. <laughs> I don't remember exactly which variety it was, but it wasn't. It definitely wasn't. Uh, I wasn't starting at the top of the mountain there. No, you were probably starting at, uh, well, the uh, lowest common denominator of some of those iced beverages, which yeah. is uh, definitely. That phase has come and gone, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. <laughs> Too bad. We need ice hopped beer. Right? Just uh, make we'll it, see. you know, 10%, and then we'll, we'll be happy in, in a 40-ounce bottle so I don't have to go back. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, so you uh, had a first beer down in the center. When did you uh, graduate to actually uh, fermenting your own, brewing your own beer? Uh, so that happened in uh, in college. I went, uh, so I went to school at Western up in, up in Bellingham. Um, so Oh, that's real wild territory, huh? You can do anything up there. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so, so, so I was there for uh, doing some um, studying in environmental science field, and then uh, basically my last year of college, I was like, I discovered, oh, you can just make this, you can make this at home. 
and so I started making that at home and then um got hooked fast uh just the the whole process is super addictive and um, yeah and, alcohol apparently yeah. you can become dependent on yeah. it yeah <laughs> who knew i <laughs> I was speaking more to the process. It's oh, like of, right. of it being like an empowering. You can make your own thing. It's kind of like learning how to cook for the first time, where oh. you're like, oh, I can, Ooh. I can make this, and like, oh, I can make grilled cheese, and then like, oh, I can make grilled cheese with this, and then yeah, you know, all so of a you sudden. were kind of the the star of breaking beer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had that first, that first idea of like, oh, I'm gonna sell this to all my friends, and it's like, it's like you know, all, my, all your friends really like it a lot until you start asking for money, and then yeah, that's all right, I guess. Yeah, it's, uh, that's too Um What was your first batch? Did you find a recipe online? Did you just go to the local malt shop and say, um, I'll buy the pale otter malt? Yeah, basically the, the the very first batch was just like, here, give me the most the simplest thing off of uh, off of your menu there, and um, had a great uh, homebrew store there, the North Corner uh, Brewing Supplies, which I would later become an employee of. Oh. Um, but, uh, yeah, so uh, did that and then um, wound up uh, getting into the industry that way. With There, there was a uh, posting for a keg washing job, and I eagerly applied and wound up uh, working at Boundary Bay up in Bellingham. So. Okay, so well, oh, the brew shop, the brew supply shop, was up in Bellingham, not yes. down in the center. I see. Yeah, yeah. So it was when I was at when I was in college. College. What'd you study up there? Fermentation, environmental science. Oh, how about that? Yeah. Now, if I, now if I had known that fermentation was an issue, that or or a, a possibility, like that wasn't on any of the. You minored in it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, that's great. And when did you first get your? Obviously, who were you? You said Boundary Bay was washing kegs. And how long before you rose? You you rose up to the next level of. Well, I did that for about three years, and then oh. and then wound up, um, you know, basically uh, progressing and found myself at Red Hook. Oh well, when we come back from this break, we're going to talk more with Nick Crandall and, and learn the secrets of the Red Hook Brewery, which is, uh, I believe, it was founded in 1982, if I remember. But we'll find out when we come back from this break. And uh, if you haven't had any Red Hook beers, I know that we're uh, we're very provincial, but this is, you know, they had say they're the granddaddy um, and they've come out with some fantastic new balanced and delicious beers I invite you to check them out but uh, I'll taste them here for you when we come back from this break right here on Happy Hour Radio A Northwest Original Lars Larson live weekdays noon to 3 talk radio 570 KVI KVI Want to Know Weekends continue. Now, back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle. Hello, Beauty Sound. Welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. Time for round three. Hope you got something great in your glass or on your way to someplace tasty. I'm looking at three beautiful goblets of uh, the elixir known as beer. And uh, speaking with the man behind the beer is Nick Crandall, the innovative innovation brewer for Red Hawk. Red Hook Brewery. Oh my goodness! I need. Uh, I think I'm feeling a little faint. I need some of this uh, this elixir in me to uh, correct me. Hey, uh, Nick Crandall, we were talking about you had a job washing kegs at Boundary Bay for three years. Then you you got a new gig doing what? Uh, washing fermenters. <laughs> basically, <laughs> moved up moved up to the uh, the stage of uh, of basically being um, a full blown cellarman and um, and I'd I'd moved on and, and done multiple things at. Out boundary while I was there, but um, but 
moved out to Red Hook, which is uh, a, it was a big change as far as there's a huge technological leap, uh, a huge jump in the size of what what we're doing. So um, sometimes that means that like oh that little mistake that used to be like a two or three hundred dollar mistake like that's now a five thousand dollar mistake. Oh, so. oh, so uh, certain flaws become less uh, character and more like <laughs> not good. Yeah, interesting. Um, what is the capacity for a Red Hook versus a Boundary Bay? I mean, Boundary Bay is making what a uh, hundred barrels a week. Um, they're, they're making. I know they're making more than more than that. They're doing about seven thousand ish uh, a year. All right, barrels and um, yeah. So that's one hundred twenty, one hundred thirty-five. Yeah, but we're in the at Red Hook. We're in the scale of brewing about two hundred thousand barrels in in a year. Interesting. Where does all that grain come from? Is it local grain, or we have to ship it from Canada? I mean, how American is this Red Hook beer? It's pretty American. So we're we're getting our North um, American, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, besides the specialties, we're getting a lot of our our base grain is coming from Montana, um, with a company that's called Malt Europe, but it's not from Europe. For the um, it's like crab with a K. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no there's no e on it, so it's just not Europe. Europe, all right. You hope, I hope it's good. Uh, interesting. So Montana, and that is basically barley. Yeah. So it's a so uh, so barley is the, goes through a malting process, which basically means that we're uh, we're letting the the natural progression. Um, we're, we're sort of taking it and doing and making it do what we want it to. But well, it's germination. Yeah, changing the starches into sugars. Exactly. Right. And that's what we're trying to do. Is the the whole process of brewing is that we're trying to trying to create uh, trying to make the starch into into sugars that are fermentable that we can then turn into alcohol, um, combine it with hops and make the make magic happen. So is the Rheinheitsgebot really one of the fundamental principles for Red Hook? No, no, interesting. That's the whole innovation brewer, right? Yeah, you'll see. Uh, at least one of my one of the beers I brought definitely breaks the Renhansgebot. So okay, well, um, let's talk about the beers you brought, and obviously with two hundred thousand barrels, you said from Red Hook about that, and, yeah. and that's divided among what five core brand, five core flavors, or what do you call them? Expressions or brews. Beers. Beer, yeah. <laughs> That's beer. so funny because in wine talk, well, this is our, you know, one of, you know, we talk about just, you know, like scotch. Well, this is an expression. No, it's a beer. All right, so you've brought three beers today, and uh, how many beers does Red Hook make? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I'm not, know, I'm not, not sure off the top of my head. Uh, uh, as many as I can. Twelve. Uh, well, probably over the course of the year, we're probably in the thirty to fifty. Wow, uh, interesting. Range. All under the Red Hook label. Yeah, but a lot of them are a lot of them are draft only at, at the pub, small stuff. So some of the one of the uh, a couple of the things we have right now are just mm-hmm. are just draft only, non non packaged. The three beers you have one is a very golden pale, the next one is more of a uh, pecan amber, and then you have a dark uh, a dark black blue beer. Yeah, purple. So uh, so the the first beer I brought is a brand new, uh, basically a, a test batch IPA that we're calling Bicoastal IPA. It was uh, inspired by some of the stuff, the what some of the um, IPAs that are being brewed on the East Coast. Uh, so sort of an East Coast meets West Coast uh, approach there. Indianapolis. Crossroads, <laughs> or is it more exactly. Spokane? <laughs> is that the East Coast? Yeah, I don't know. Well, it's all it's all uh, it's all Yakima hops, so uh, it's definitely definitely a little more tier to the West Coast. Are you one of the largest hop buyers in the country? Uh, yeah, we're one of like probably top top ten. Yeah, 
And uh, we know that, what, 90% of the hops come from uh, Yakima Valley? Yep, just about that. There's another, uh, I mean, I don't have the stats in front of me, but probably another 5, 5% coming from the Willamette Valley. Ooh, from Oregon. And, and I hear that Florida's online now. Yeah, not not volume wise. No, but, but there's look, a there's a lot of what we would call like boutique uh, farms going in. There's some in Colorado. There, I think there's some in Michigan as well. Interesting. Um, but how, it's, talks, but, when it comes to hops, how many different versions are there? Oh, there's about I think 150 to 200. Wow, somewhere in that range. It's a little mind numbing at times. And but, people think hops as being the flower, but it's also it, hops are really the aroma and bitterness and acidity too, right? Don't they have acid in that? Yeah, they say. Um, so one of the main things we use them for is the alpha and the beta acids that they have in there, and that's what's uh, that's what's actually uh, giving us our, our bitterness as well. Is when we isomerize those, which is basically flipping their structure by boiling them for an hour. Oh, uh, isomize, right? Isomerize. Yeah. Ah, like not a samurai, not a samurai, or a sommelier. Iso- yeah, I remember those isomizers, right? That yeah. was something back in the eighties or nineties. Uh, interesting. So this, this is really delicious beer. And as a home brewer myself, um, it was great to try to get as much alcohol as you can and try to make them balance that with hops and all that malt flavor. And that's really what it's about. It comes down to balance. I find that a lot of the uh, um, the beers, the uh, IPAs especially, is just a license to throw so much unbalanced bitterness and hop aroma in there that it doesn't really translate to a enjoyable flavor finish. Um, this beer is uh, very well balanced. It, you get the hop expression right on the attack, but it's not dryingly bitter and um, uh, uh, uncomfortable on the finish. I mean, your mouth yeah. still waters. So we're not shooting for a gigantic amount of uh, of bitterness in the in the beer. We're going for more of the aromatics uh, of the beer. So we do that by backloading and putting a lot of the a lot of hops at the end of the end of the boil, and then a lot of hops in the dry hop, and then. That's really what's uh, what's creating a lot more of the aromatics and the and the flavor that you're getting out of it. Sure. So when you're you're boiling the wort, and you add the hops. Basically, the bittering hops are what really boils in there for a mm-hmm. long time, trying to extract the tannin and the uh, the little yeah. phenols and etc. Um, but the dry hops is when you just add it when the fermentate when the boil is done, you just add the dry hops and let that ferment, right? Yeah. Or basically, we're actually waiting until the fermentation is done, and then we're adding it. At, after after fermentation's done, um, to okay. the to basically like in in like the conditioning, it'd be like this. Sure. At the same time that you would add uh, oak spirals or staves or something to your to your wine or put it in a barrel, like that's the same time where we would be dry hopping and then and then processing. And hops, um, obviously, in uh, what is the major hop here in Washington? Is that a Cascade hop? Is that the Kent Golding? Is that the? It's definitely Cascade by by volume. Um, there's a couple other varieties that are used for for bittering, but but the the uh, vast majority of the acreage is 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 going to be in Cascade, and then in a bunch of new varietals, which is actually what's featured in in this beer. Interesting. Well, um, I'm tasting this beer. I love. It's kind of a light, cloudy color. It reminds me more of a Hefeweizen in look, or a Hellas beer or something. Yeah. So that actually points back to what uh, what I was mentioning about the East Coast beers. They're um, they're doing a lot of uh, heavily unfiltered unfiltered beers, and so this beer isn't quite as cloudy as what some of what some of their beers is, but it are. But um, but it's definitely it's got a like, pale yellow. Is not, this nitro? Because this is very creamy, uh, effervescent. No, um, it's got a little bit. It's, it's got some flaked oats in it, and oh. so it's, so it's, it's playing with the mouthfeel the a little bit. But yeah, but it definitely this is all all CO two. 
Mm. I like that. I think that, you know, when you add oatmeal, you get that imperial stout style, which gives you just the roundness on that dark roasty hop or a dark roasty malt flavor. Um, delicious. It's called again Bi Coastal? Bi Coastal IPA. And it's available in keg only, or is this now going to be in bottles? Uh, this is available in keg only. It's a, it's a recipe that we're toying with for a line for next year, but, uh, but nothing nothing uh, official yet and how long have you been the uh, head brewer innovative innovation brewer um i think i've been in this role for about two years now okay or somewhere there it's kind of a, it was kind of a gray transition uh from one step to another from being did you have someone hold your hand was there a uh, a dick cantwell so to speak of uh, red hook um i had not a, not exactly um i definitely had uh had help along the way <laughs> but um i had i definitely had a, a really good mentor in uh jen tally who was here but she was here for a short period of time and then had to had to move on to other things you had to move on huh yeah. you just got too big and burly making two hundred thousand barrels a year speaking with nick crandall the innovation brewer at red hook brewery also known as the head brewer um talking about this cool tasty bicoastal ipa what are the other two beers we have coming up um, so we got Big Ballard, which is our Imperial IPA that was uh, Imperial. Yeah. That's a high proof then. Yeah, not yeah, it's not a not for the faint of heart. So it's eight point six percent ABV. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Excellent. Last beer. And the last beer we have is our uh, 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 Dark and Stormy. No. Uh, oh, this is the uh, the Black Hook Alavita. Oh. So it's a version of our Black Hook aged with uh, some, some coffee from Cafe Vita. I love it. Hey, folks, stick around. we got two great beers coming up on the next show, in the next segment of Happy Hour Radio. Big names, big news. Sean Hannity, weekdays 3 to 6 p.m., Talk Radio 570, KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Now back to Seattle, Somalia, Christopher Chan. Hey, folks, welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. Time for our fourth and final segment. Hope you got something tasty in that glass or uh, still in the car going someplace delicious. Uh, I got Nick Crandall, the innovation brewer for Red Hook Brewery. We're talking about his uh, brand-new Bicoastal IPA, which is a blend of East Coast IPA version and the West Coast. So it's got uh, it's unfiltered, and the, the bitterness is really more aromatic and slightly in the palate. Um, it's a pale yellow, almost an apricot yellow. Um, next beer you said was an Imperial IPA. Tell me about that. Yeah, so this is Big Ballard, and this is uh, um, so this is where we're we're going a little less balanced uh, in in the fact that we're just we're cranking it up to eleven on both on both as- aspects there. Um, so you're going to get a lot of bitterness, uh, but it, sh- it should it should be balanced by the by the malt there, and that's why we've got this nice uh, sort of amber or like light amber, almost copper uh, hue to it, and so it's got a little bit of caramel in it. But not not overpowering. When you say caramel, you're talking about caramel malt, malt which is the roasting process, right? Yeah. You get certain... So basically, we take that barley that we were talking about earlier, um, and after it's malted, we're actually just we're, we're gonna we're gonna roast it. It's kind of like similar to toast. Oh, also coffee the... beans because coffee beans yeah. are green until you roast them. Yeah. Interesting. Um, you know, Red Hook's first beer came out. What I believe was Ballard Bitter or ESB. Uh, yeah. Yes. We're. That's an English style bitter. That was what it was. It was an ale, and so it means it was top fermenting. <laughs> is, it, is this correct? Yep. Yeah. And uh, the alcohol was about five five percent, maybe four eight at the time, because that was still pretty on the higher side. It might have been five two. Um, how how different is it than this beer? 
Uh, it's uh, um, pretty pretty substantially different as far as like we've. I mean, we've almost doubled the alcohol, so we're at eight point six, oh, right. and then we've doubled. Basically, it's just everything's gotten bigger. There's my more, tolerance more. has doubled. <laughs> exactly, we we made it for you. Just Thank a, you. It's gonna be a hit then. Yeah. Everyone will love it. All my friends will love it. Um, it's called uh, Big Ballard. Big Ballard. Yeah, and we're looking to. Um, so we've been making this uh, in the in the pub for for years, mm. um, but we're actually looking to bring it back into package this next year. So. Okay, you should call it the Big La Ballard Ski. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. I might Thanks. use that for uh, for, might. A, for a one up version or something. I like it. Like All a, right, final beer is a dark and stormy night. It's called. Um, this is, Olivetta? This no. is Black Oak Olivita. Olivita. Yeah. So, uh, so um, this is made. Uh, this is a version of our of our Black Oak Porter, which we've uh, one of the one of the first beers we made. Was that the third beer? I think. Yeah. 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 It was. Uh, so um, from that, I did, I took this and uh, and added some coffee from Cafe Vita. They used the Theo's blend, which is kind of a nice uh, actual brewed coffee or just the coffee. No, bean? no, no, it's it's we sort of do like a, a cold brew process on on it with the with the beer. Uh, so we're actually steep. I'm steeping the beer in in the or steeping the coffee in the beer overnight and then oh. take it out and that's like a giant tea bag how do you do that what's yeah, that? that's that's pretty much it yeah yeah a five gallon tea bag kind of thing or? yeah 15 and 15 really? but yeah and what grain what coarse grain do you uh or, or uh do you grind the the beans in i just i'm using a pretty much an off-the-shelf uh coffee grinder oh just just like one of the ones you so do. more drip style than espresso yeah i mean it's 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 on the coarsest setting but, Got it. Okay. Uh, um, delicious beer. You know, Red Hook came, uh, Black Hook came out at a time when I, I think it, it was overpowering for most palates. Um, just so dark and roasty and uh, definitely a stiffer version of, of what we thought beer would be. Um, but it has survived. And this beer um, is moderate, moderate plus weight on the palate. Um, it's got definitely a, a great coffee flavor, but it dissipates in that f- flavor uh sort of clears away for more of a beer finish yeah i try to make sure that i don't uh whenever i'm using specialty ingredients that i'm not overwhelming like i don't want i want the beer to be first uh in in anything that we're doing um so you got to be careful on those levels as far as like you don't want to go overdo it where yeah um because if you if you wanted a, a coffee you would just order a coffee i was gonna say you don't have a cream caramel beer right you know <laughs> with the pumpkin spice any pumpkin beers coming in your life um well yeah so we do we do make a, a pumpkin beer we've got a uh beer called out of your gourd uh, pumpkin porter <laughs> All right. so fun uh nick crandall uh you have this great pub uh forecasters at the red hook brewery in uh woodenville that's open seven days a week yep it is uh open seven days a week at uh starting at 11 and usually goes till i think about 10 o'clock these these days and you have a cool website so people can go find out what's being poured exactly at, at today at yep what's the website uh, so it's it's on. You can reach reach it through redhook.com. Redhook.com. Nick Crandall, yep. Innovation Brewer. Thanks so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Cheers. Hey, cheers. Hey, folks. You got to dig in. Uh, Red Hook. Uh, um, obviously, they've paid all their bills, so these are really the the the, wine, uh, the beers that you want to taste because they are balanced and delicious and uh, readily available. Of course, Forecasters or um, any great store that serves good beer. And if you missed the great uh, Pumpkin Beer Fest uh, October eighth, that CenturyLink. Um, it was a fantastic time, or it's going to be a fantastic time. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm just having so much fun. Hey, if you're out and about, remember, folks, driving around town, life is always better. 
with the designated driver. See you next week.